Folks, hello again. This is uh, another week with uh, Let's Talk Ed. Apologies, last two weeks uh, I was uh, under the weather with COVID. Uh, so if you missed us, I hope you didn't miss us too, uh, too much. This time we have John Mercer. Uh, Chris and I are going to be talking to a gentleman I consider to be uh, the apogee in terms of bringing technology to the classroom and thinking about the next steps uh, with that. Uh, Chris and I are users, maybe okay users. In my case, Chris is far better than I am. But we thought we'd uh, we tackle the question of the use of technology in education, not just broadly, but in particular in the classroom and the learning. Chris, take us from here, if you don't mind. Yeah, thanks, Ahi. I, I think there are, you know, we, we've talked about it a little bit before, you know, at a very high level, how we use technology, how things have changed, and it's been you and I, and, and now we're bringing somebody in from that that IT world with John who can tell us a little bit more, um, you know, what things look like. And, you know, John, certainly over time, you look back and an online class at one point was cutting edge for uh, technology in the classroom. And, you know, having a computer lab was was the standard. And now things are, I mean, it, technology has evolved so much and technology in the classroom continues to evolve. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good point. And I, you know, I think it's not just necessarily even education. It's, you know, based, the changes that are happening are based upon, you know, the customer base, right, that's coming in. So, you know, every industry has been dealing with the challenges of consumerization or the expectations of the consumer experience that you have, banking or movies or whatever, um, and self-service, um, I think, being a couple of the huge trends that impact every every step in the the journey. And so as the folks who come in, you know, are, are digital natives, then the expectations of their experience throughout their relationship with whatever higher ed, higher ed institution they're with, you know, the bar just kind of keeps being raised. So we have to, we have to, we have to meet that and, and add the, the enhanced technology everywhere um, along that, that journey. Oh, I was going to, I was going to say, you know, just in, you know, as things have changed too, one of the things I think about too um, is, you know, really making sure because they're, they're digital natives and really what they're used to is, operating on that that phone or that tablet and mm -hmm. a lot of times this technology that i've seen was set up with a desktop computer in mind and the the evolution to taking something that that is really you know fixed for that widescreen versus now we're going to take it down onto a mobile device so it's it's easy and convenient for students to access yeah, yeah, hundred percent, and and even just different devices, right? So I think to to your point, in the past there was more kind of control through what form factor that the delivery you know was being provided, and now we have to support a lot more variables. And so um, we and all the other higher ed institutions have have had to try and make sure that every every application or every service is as consumable on you know whatever device flavor that that the customer and the student's gonna gonna want to use. And same with faculty, right? So is it is it Windows, is it Mac, whatever browser flavor, whatever mobile device form factor, and having it 
ideally be optimized for that experience, right? So sometimes if you're working with dual or triple monitors, right, in the desktop environment, right, you're going to have a different uh, amount of canvas to play with as opposed to if you're working off of your iPhone. So you got to make sure that the overall experience is, is you know, is going to be positive regardless which venue you're playing in. So when, when, uh, when I went to school, it was still an overhead uh, projector and you had uh, the carousel of slides if you were a little fancier. Uh, but then uh, in the mid-90s, you had online instruction and you had the use of Harvard Graphics and Corel, uh, their, their presentation software, and then PowerPoint became the big behemoth for presentations. Uh, and the expectation was you're going to sit here, I'm going to do the exact same thing I had done for a couple hundred years. It's not necessarily a black chalkboard or a green chalkboard. Now it's a, it's a slide that's going to be blue with white font and make you want to puke. Uh, so, but things have changed, right? Because those haven't proven to be the game changers. They've proven to be yet another set of tools. Put us in the mindset of a classroom 2.0, the way you see it, because you've been establishing it here, uh, at the institution. And I think you're also thinking about the next iteration. Sure. Yeah. So real quick, I mean, my my perspective, um, you know, and personal experiences that I come from, I started started in higher ed for a couple of years, then spent a lot of my career in the healthcare vertical and then came back to higher ed. Um, and through that, prior to COVID, did not have a lot of personal AV uh, flavor of technology experience. Right. A lot of my experience was in all of the other uh, world, worlds of technology that there are. And so it was a really interesting time to, to really dig deep into those technologies and the changes that were happening. Because I think to your point, Zahi, you know, the distance learning tools and that general concept of remote delivery, etc. I mean, in itself wasn't new. It's just that the volume, right, that we tipped into and then also the expectations rose because of how much of our, our world was going that direction. So, um, yeah, I'd say we, we've definitely made strides from, from where we started, where we definitely have, have uh, additional highway in front of us, right, where improvements and, and uh, changes that we want to make as we go forward. And we're seeing that the products that are out there um, or the, the vendors that play in that space um, are also working to, you know, to, to provide more, more enhanced tools to support it because there's so much more volume in that direction. So as a, if we, I guess, did we want to talk just quickly about our, the changes that have happened in our classroom environment or did you have something? Yeah, absolutely. As they affect the learner, right? Because all we're trying to establish here is we don't wish on the 21st century student, what we received in the eighties and nineties and before us, right? We wish them something <laughs> new and better and an enhancement of their learning ability. Chris, do you, I mean, how would you say it in words that are better than this? Yeah, no, I mean, exactly that. And, you know, I, I'm just thinking, and if we've got time in this segment, we might, you know, visit this, just the, you know, the difference in what, you know, a, a synchronous classroom might have looked like before, during, and now after uh, COVID, you know, with the lessons that we've learned. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So ours, um, you know, I'd say our our, our pre-COVID classroom was uh, on the vanilla side um, in the sense that it was a fixed classroom PC and there was, uh, you know, on average, there was there was no uh, uh, microphones, uh, cameras, et cetera, right, to distance learning enable. There were some classes that were sped up, set up specifically to accomplish that, but it was not uh, something that you could uh, expect to be, you know, available in any classroom to be able to add that that online modality, you know, kind of ad hoc, right? You'd have to really plan plan ahead of time. Um, and I'd, I'd say elsewhere, right, other, especially larger uni- universities that would have larger budgets, they would, I'm sure, have had, you know, spaces that were comparably better prepared, um, but also, I think, similarly, not necessarily uh, exist virtually everywhere, right? Again, you would have had certain spaces that were set for that, but, but not... Uh, not the degree or percentage that were that were ready to support that. Um, I think what you'd find probably across the industry also pre-COVID is even if that distance enabled component was there, the the products that were used and thus the experience that was received on the far end, right? You would check the box that you could do the distance learning, right? But the quality of the camera, the quality of the mic pickup, um, you know, was was just not ideal. Um, and so the changes, you know, industry-wide, and, and we've certainly been part of it, um, that happened during COVID was really putting in high quality microphones, high quality cameras, right, to be able to capture capture quality sound, because uh, that's number one right, is, you know, in having any kind of a synchronous um, engagement experience, whether it's conferencing, instruction, et cetera, you've got to have good audio. You can, in, in the past, you could, and even now you can live more without the video, but you have to have an audio foundation, right? Or the, the communication just, just can't occur. So, um, yeah, having, having high quality mics that then supports the instructor being able to be anywhere in the room, um, you know, be heard well on the far end to be able to have uh, the student participation if they chime in, right? That that can be, that can be captured. Whereas in uh, pre-COVID environments, that likely was not the case, right? If you did have support for distance learning in a space, a lot of times the the microphone environment would have likely been focused mainly on the instructor. Um, yeah, and then quality of video, right? So again, sometimes folks maybe would have had a, a standard webcam at the front of the room to capture the instructor. Now you're going to more room style cameras. Um, as, as a step, we happened to, at the time we were making our decisions and our investments of of COVID funds uh, took a step into uh, presenter tracking cameras uh, with the goal being to allow the instructor to be more flexible, right, and natural as they they work uh, work through the room and have that experience delivered to the far end. So you're not on the consuming side, on the student side, you're not necessarily just seeing a static stage, uh, right, where the challenge with that is, is, I think, on a lot of fronts. Um, one is if you're going to have the full stage, you have to have a wide enough shot that you're not necessarily going to be close up on the instructor to get um, as as good of an experience on the consuming side um, from a production perspective. Because like it or not, you know, the classroom and the recording experience now has basically become a mini production, right? And and I, again, I think we bring in the theme of kind of consumer expectations entering the situation where, I mean, there's just content creation everywhere. And the quality of a lot of the content that's created, uh, you know, YouTube, et cetera, tends to, be, tends to be pretty high. So I think, you know, all of us now, when we go into any kind of a, a video or a presentation type experience in a room, 
you know, we're going to, we're really going to long for having a good experience or else we're going to disengage pretty quickly, right? Because if it's going to be a 60 minute or 90 minute class and it's a wide shot that's static and I really can't pick it up, I mean, our, all of our attention spans are incre increasingly shorter. So, um, so yeah, having the presenter tracking to not only um, not keep a static shot, but also to be closer and allow them to, to work the room and engage, right? The, the folks who happen to be in the room effectively. And that helps not only during the synchronous session, but then also ideally from a lecture capture, right? And in an asynchronous perspective as well. So, so that's where we're at today. Um, the next step in what we're seeing in the space and that we're similarly shooting for is having um, automated camera switching. So again, it's taken this production and kind of broadcast experience and kicking it up a notch to where, so current state, let's say today, Sure, you kind of decide that today is an in-person instructor scenario, and so you have the camera on the instructor, but when, let's say, students chime in, or if there is a lot of interaction as opposed to Sage on the stage, um, you today you wouldn't necessarily easily be able to see the student part of that, whereas the current crop of products that are out there uh, from the, uh, the QSEs, the Crestrons, the Avers, can incorporate some automatic camera switching, which previously only generally would have been done if you had a human involved, right, to kind of produce or direct to direct that, which, again, large universities with really large lecture halls, right, maybe would have had TAs or student workers uh, helping with that. But I, I would guess as a percentage of overall classrooms and students, right, that would be an exceptionally small uh, amount of courses and content that would have had that quality of service. And so I think that's the, the next exciting area from a classroom capture perspective is that automated camera uh, switching to where when a student in the back of the room or on the side of the room chimes in, right, it'll cut to a shot of them um, contributing and then it'll cut back to uh, the presenter as appropriate. So... Well, uh, John, this is this is really wonderful. I'd like us in the next segment to talk about uh, one of the banes of my existence, aka the whiteboard, chalkboard, anything that a wall that you talk to, and because that's a commitment from the institution to the learner, and that's what I would like us to talk about is how we can, as institutions, commit to the learner and to their learning. Uh, Folks, uh, Chris and I had been uh, talking for the last uh, little bit here with John Mercer in this week's series on uh, IT in the classroom. And we'll come back to you in the next segment to talk specifically about what institutions can do to enhance the learning. See you next time.